Welcome to the first episode of The Dental Cast, brought to you by Dental Talent, the Dentistry Job Board. In The Dental Cast, we'll meet some of the most interesting characters working in dentistry today. Perhaps not the obvious names you're used to seeing in the top 50 lists. Our aim is to meet people at the coalface of dentistry, doing amazing things that often don't get the acknowledgement they deserve. In this episode, we have the honour of talking to, in our humble opinion, one of the best connected and most influential people in UK dentistry today. If you need a number or important information, she's dentistry's go-to person. Her little black book is worth thousands of Invisalign cases. Even if you haven't met, you've probably received an email from her at some point. She's articulate, pragmatic, intelligent, has a wicked sense of humour. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Susie Rowlands. Lovely to have you. Thank you, James and Paul. I don't quite know what to say after that. I don't, re- don't recognise that person. Have you got your uh, lawyer ready? Yeah, have I got my, yes, maybe. So, whilst I'm sure people have probably either had communication or met you at some point, please can you explain who you are and what you do in dentistry? Okay, so my name's Susie Rowlands and I'm the Executive Administrator of the British Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, the BACD. And over the past uh, three years, I've been doing work for the British Association of Dental Therapists, the BADT. And earlier this year, so probably around about February, March, I started helping the British Association of Private Dentistry. So that's why you'll probably see stuff from me, depending on which area of the profession you're working in. But yeah, and I've been involved with dentistry for quite a long time anyway. Absolutely. So how did you start in dentistry? I started in dentistry in um, 1995. So before that, I'd worked as a legal secretary and I'd worked in property management as well. So I answered an advertisement in the Times and it said small dental publishing house. So I went along and it turned out to be the World Dental Federation, the FDI World Dental Federation, who are an organisation who was set up in 1900 in France, Paris, so it's Fédération Dentaire Internationale. After two interviews, I was given the job and I started on the 1st of June, 1995. And I was chucked in at the deep end because I had no idea what I was doing at all. It was a completely, not alien environment, but I didn't really get what I was doing until the first conference, which was in Hong Kong later that year. We were based in Soho, um, next door to Private Eye, actually. We used to take their post in for them every day and they'd come staggering in late in the afternoon, pick up their posts. They're very polite. So I stayed with them for, for many years. They do very large conferences all over the world. There will never be a UK one. There's nowhere big enough to host The biggest one I think I did, not by myself, but with a fairly small team, was in Orlando in the late 90s, which was 60,000 dentists. So once you have organised something for that many, incrementally, it doesn't matter. When you think in such huge figures, doing a small conference for three or 400 is like having a drinks party or something. Can you tell us more about the beginnings of the BACD and how it was first formed and how you came to get involved with them? My dentist, Dr. Christopher Orr, one of my best friends and an absolutely delightful man and an extremely talented clinician. I met Chris, weirdly, at my first FDI conference in 1995 in Hong Kong, though he was a student. And he was involved with 
the student part of the FDI and we just stayed friends. And then he graduated and he became my dentist, which was very lucky because he's one of the best dentists in Europe, never mind anywhere else. And his practice was just around the corner. So I used to see him on a very regular basis just for lunch or drinks or, you know, he's a friend. So he said, we're setting up the BACD. What happened was that the sort of parent organization, if you like, is the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, the AACD. And they were seeing large numbers of British dentists going over. And they said, countries have set up associations with far less people than you have. The Swedes, for example, the Italians, although they're a whole different story for another time. So when was BACD actually set up then? I think it was incorporated in sort of 2003. And the first conference was in November 2004. And it's always remained in November. And it was in November because that was the first, that was how they, they got around to organizing it. And, you know, that was when the date that fitted and they had a lot of help from AACD who sent over speakers who didn't charge on Raria or anything. And then Chris said, basically, you know, I think you would be the perfect person to run it because you know what you're doing. You have experience of doing much, much larger events. I had a meeting with their board and he basically said, this is Susie. She's done this, this, and this. And they all sort of grilled me. And then that was it. So I started on the 1st of February, 2005. And the rest is history. So I know we really wanted to make this more about you and your career, but can you tell me more about the BACD and what it offers its members? What does the BACD offer members? Um, first of all, we are a big family of of dental professionals. You've been to our conferences. You will see how friendly and open everybody is. There's none of this, well, look at this fabulous work I can do and you don't have a chance of doing it, but I'm going to show you anyway. It's more of a, this is how I do this. These are the materials I use. I can show you how to do it and I can happily mentor you or you can come, you know, you can come to my practice or I do these courses or I do that. We're never a hard sell. When we first started and we used to go to shows, people would come up quite, not aggressively, well, why should I join BACD? Well, don't then, you know, it's voluntary. Cosmetic dentistry is not a speciality like, you know, ortho or endo or perio, and it never will be, I don't think. However, our ethos is that everything should be as aesthetically pleasing as possible. Why wouldn't you want your end result to look as good as it possibly can? Um, And dentists are moving away from veneering everything in sight. That's old hat, you know, that's old stuff that's came over from the States. And yes, there's still a case where some people need veneers, but there's a lot less aggressive should we say, dentistry going on nowadays. So we're, we're very sort of oriented to helping people have a career path. So we try and, you know, we have student members, then they move into the um, DF1 category and then they become associates and then they can upgrade, no extra cost, but they do CPD. But we try to offer as rounded an educational experience as we possibly can. So we do listen. When people say, you know, what do you want to do? We try and cover as many aspects of general practice as we can with our courses. You see, that's quite interesting because the word cosmetic, obviously, to most people think, right, this is high-end cosmetic, 
but that isn't the case then. Not really, no. I mean, there's still the thing that the, the bigger thing or the thing that's common at the moment is ABB, you know, align bleach bond, not align bleach blonde, as we all try not to say. But a lot of people, you, we've talked about this before, you know, turkey teeth, which is a whole other area. A lot of people will go in and they will think, okay, I want to have my teeth whitened. It's definitely the Zoom effect from the past two years. You see yourself constantly on a screen. Whitening will take 10 years off because, you know, the younger you are, the whiter your teeth tend to be. You know, children have very white teeth, don't they? And as you get older, you know, they do stain. They, you know, coffee, red wine, just generally, you know, lifestyle. And most people will go in thinking they want your dentist, you know, a good practitioner will say, well, no, actually, have them have them straightened a bit, have a bit of short-term ortho, you know, whiten them, have a bit of composite bonding, and you'll come out with an absolutely fabulous smile for, you know, for far less than people, as you say, people think they have to go in and have a full mouth of veneers. They don't. So it doesn't sound as if dentistry from a, a BACD point of view is is overly sold because, you know, the, the impression again is perhaps externally that they're pushing and it's all about the bottom line. And I think that you know, cosmetic dentistry is not, it's not, you don't go into your dentist, you don't have to have it, it's elective. Uh, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to your dentist, regardless of whether you're going private or it, it's an NHS dentist, you're generally going there for either have your checkups regularly. If you're going in on a regular basis and your teeth are fine, then okay. But generally, people going to the dentist are going for something, aren't they? They're going to have a filling or they're going to have something fixed or they're going in for specifically cosmetic work, what they want. They're going in for their, you know, their ortho or they're going in for their, their whitening. So you're in a unique position because you've effectively been in dentistry for 30 years and arguably with due respect, you, you know more about the running of a dental practice than a skilled dentist, which is the quirk of dentistry. You qualify professionally and then you're expected to run a business as a principal. What what do you think is the future of dentistry in the UK? Obviously, you've touched on the NHS piece, cosmetic, private. That's quite a tricky question. We're in quite an interesting state at the moment. We absolutely, yeah, we absolutely are. I mean, we were talking earlier about the fact that um, FTs, although probably generally not all of them, are sometimes skipping the scheme and going private, which I know that you can do. But does that worry you? I think they, they need to have experience in the real world in terms of they need to see NHS dentistry. And also, everybody comes out of dental school on a level playing field, don't they? There's nobody, yes, you might have graduated with a first or you might have won prizes or you might have been highly commended, but generally you're, you're on the level. And I think you have to have experience in NHS practices, you have to see everyday dentistry. And everyday dentistry is not wildly glamorous, is it? Let's face it, you're going in for a, a clean and polish with your hygienist or therapist. You're going in to have a filling. You're going in because, I don't know, you've got perio pockets. You're going in for just normal stuff. Not everything is super glamorous. It's not in any profession, is it? Let's face it. So I think that they need to not have this idea that they can, there's rather a lot of this, uh, you know, Instagram dentist stuff where they see these guys and, and women as well, who are doing very flashy stuff and posting it on Insta, which is fine. We've got nothing against that. We use Instagram ourselves. It's a good social media tool, but it is a tool. Um, 
mostly people find practitioners by word of mouth or by asking that, you know, by asking their friends. If I saw somebody who'd had a beautiful result and I wanted that and I would say, where did you go? That would be my first port of call. But yes, sorry, your original question. I think that I feel strongly that everyone should have some NHS experience. And NHS dentistry is fine. You know, lots of people can't get to or can't afford to get to a private dentist for all sorts of reasons. So go to an NHS dentist. A lot of our members are are in groups and they they are very, very happy. You know, some of our very high end, you you, you know, the groups we're talking about. Do you think it's a sustainable business model for an independent versus, say, a group structure? All the dentists I know who are in those groups are extremely high end, extremely highly qualified clinicians. So I don't see that there's a massive issue with it. I think probably some groups are better than others, aren't they? I think again, there's a, there's a place for all. I mean, obviously my dentists at the top, they, they are what they are. They can't be and don't need to be criticised because they, they serve a purpose and deliver a huge NHS contract. And with I think, yeah, without the safety net of the NHS, goodness knows it will get a lot worse, wouldn't it? Because, you know, there are always people out there who will just say, oh, well, I can't see a dentist, so I'll just pull my own teeth out. But at the end of the day, prevention surely is better than cure. So we had a nice dentist as a child. I mean, I was talking to some friends the other day who was my sort of age, and we were saying, you know, when we went to the dentist, you always expected to have a filling and you never had an anesthetic, did you? It was just, it was all, it was drill and fill. No, you didn't have anesthetics. You look horrified. You didn't. It's, it was that whining noise of the drill, wasn't it? And the smell. And I had a lovely dentist as a child in Shrewsbury, and he's right opposite my school, right opposite Shrewsbury High School. And he was a delightful man. Um, he had to retire. I can always remember lying in the dental chair and he had a picture, you know, nowadays they have videos, but my dentist had a picture of some um, giant pandas on the ceiling. And I can always, whenever I see a picture of a it's very um, Pavlovian. I see a picture of a giant panda and I think about the dentist, but I went to see this lovely, he was really, really nice. And he always, they always had the same dental nurse there, whose name was Janet. And she was quite tall and she was very friendly. And we went religiously for our checkups, you know, every six months. And then my mother would always walk us back down um, Claremont Bank and we would go to Sidoli's ice cream shop at the end. So the, the payback was that you got an ice cream at the end Just of it. Just put some sugar into your... Uh, Absolutely. Dentistry is evolving all the time as a sector in the UK. And it you, is. you seem quite happy for sort of the laws of economics to do their thing and everybody has, has just got to get on with it. I think so. And some things, you know what, you just, I think you have to choose your battles wisely. There's some things you just can't change. And I think, you know, the BAPD is doing a massive amount of work for private dentists um, because they were totally ignored during lockdown. NHS dentists were happily given their furlough money and that was fine. Private dentists were expected to just suck it up and pay. And of course, you know, the daily fail with, well, they're all earning a million, 20 million pounds a year. I don't really care how much they earn. They they work very hard. I know how many courses my dentist members go on. They go on courses all the time, which costs an awful lot of money. You know that, that, you know, they fly to the States and go on expensive courses. We, you know, we run courses. They don't cost that much, but you still should, I don't, in a profession like this, you're constantly learning. You know what it's like. You you think, oh, well, there's, they've done everything that can be done. But actually, there's something different coming out all the time, isn't there? And it's it's just the fact. Obviously, we all work in it. We read articles. Your social media feed is is tweaked towards dentistry. And it's always one thing after the next, isn't it? It's the NHS versus the privates, the recruitment crisis. It's the retention of nurses. It, it's always going on. 
If you could have a magic wand then, having said all that, and wave it across the 12,500 odd dental practices in the UK, what would you implement if you could? That's a, that's a really, really tricky one. That's a really tricky one. Treat your team well. I'm not saying that people don't, but you should treat your team well. You know, you do see a lot of anonymous chatter on in the dental groups on Facebook about the way that some principals will treat their associates and they will treat their staff. See, that is really interesting. So you're effectively saying, which is music to our ears, uh, that recruitment and employee retention the workforce it's incredibly is important. It's incredibly important and don't load too much onto your staff. I mean, yes, you know, people have to have their UDAs and associates want to earn a reasonable amount of money, but money is not the be all and end all and it should never be. You shouldn't ever go into a profession, you know, unless you, I don't know, you're a hedge fund manager, but you should never go into an go into a profession thinking, right, I'm just in here to make shed loads of money and then I'm getting out. It's when you choose to do something that is a career choice, like becoming a dentist, I mean, you're not going to do anything else. Not that many people get out of dentistry, do they? Or they don't, you don't, I've no idea what the dropout rate is, but don't burn out your associates too quickly and make sure you make sure you have enough support staff as well. And don't expect your support staff to do stuff they're not trained for and send them on courses. You know, there's lots and lots of courses out there. i spend a lot of time on the phone to practices, not for any other reason than to speak to principals. Sometimes it's quicker to phone up and talk to someone than it is to send endless emails. And there is still a massive difference when people, you know, people answering the phone. Because if I was a member of the public, I would get really peeved if I had to keep ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and couldn't get through. That doesn't necessarily mean to say that, oh, they're so busy, they're so good because they've got so many patient, they've got so many patients coming in. It means that they don't have enough people to answer the phone. And I think they are, they are hugely underestimated. So I say, you know, look after your team. Don't push them all too hard. Reward them, be nice to them, and they will stay with you. We had the same dental nurse throughout my entire childhood. So I can remember going to the dentist and seeing the same, like she was older, but she was there the entire time that I went to see this dental practice. So probably from the age of six to the age of early thirties which is a very long time. That has fundamentally changed though with the fluidity of the job market. People relocate, they do what they want. You know, very few people, even in healthcare, have the same role for 30, 40 years. 30, 40 years. No, you're absolutely right. They do because the whole the whole working ethos has changed, hasn't yeah. it? Completely. And as you say, it has. You have people are ambitious, the nurses become hygienists, then they become practice managers. And then if they're a group, that become an area manager. And the, the, the whole you know, sector of dentistry is evolving and creating opportunity for people. But how, how do you educate or teach principals, owners, directors of small groups to improve that? Some of them are very, very good. I mean, generally. But is that just a natural I way think they a, are? I think it's a natural thing because they come out of, you know what it's like. Dentists, they come out of university literally knowing nothing. They're not taught about finance. They're not taught about whether they do they need an accountant? Yes, they do. Are they self-employed? Do they what do they do? You know, do they want but to those s- are all things they can outsource. They can outsource. Say, but so what outs- they haven't yeah, also it. get is emotional intelligence. I think you can either do it or you can't. Um, you can be taught to a certain extent, and you know, you you see people who go on courses and think, yes, right, I'll go and do that straight away and I'll change everything on Monday. And then they might try it for a month or so. But if they don't, if there's no consistency, they're not going to keep it up. There's lots of people out there who do lots of courses. You know, Tracy Stewart's a good one. 
you need to be empathetic. But then I think really, I don't see that you can treat patients without being reasonably empathetic because otherwise you would just come across as being a bit of a, you know, drilling and filling machine, wouldn't you really? As a but person. It's the old a skill of a dentist is talking to somebody when they're not talking back to you because their mouth is open, isn't it? Exactly. And it's your li- and they do, and you're lying there and you're like, Chris would be constantly sort of talking to me and I'd be just going like this and the nurse would be laughing because, you know, I'd be pointing at my mouth thinking, yeah, you, you've got a rubber dam in there and you stuff my mouth with instruments. I can't answer back. Or perhaps that's, you know, perhaps that's a good thing. So you're effectively saying education, which brings us back around yes. to why I like to be ACD and Absolutely. all these organization points. So educate yourself, educate your people and implement it. And implement it, yes. And don't and also nobody's perfect. I think you you can't keep using the same model all the time without changing. Even if everything you do is successful, you can always tweak something, can't you? There's no point in changing things for the sake of changing things, but you also shouldn't say, right, that's it this is my model, this works, I'm never going to do anything else. It won't work. You'll get left behind, won't you? As you say, if you think about the proliferation of corporates over the past 20 years, there never used to be that many. But now they're all over the place and new ones are starting up, aren't they? Yeah. And you don't even know. I mean, us guys obviously working in the industry are aware of it, but quite often you talk to somebody and you, you think they've just owned one practice and actually they've got 22. And you wouldn't know, you would, you wouldn't have, know you would as a have, patient. No, you, as you say, you, and if we don't know, patients are certainly not going to know. And often for us working on the recruitment side, you don't even realise or appreciate that often the staff don't know. Really? That, That's that interesting. Sometimes concerns us because that, that should be creating opportunity for them to move yes. to another practice or if they're relocating, they could move they internally. Should be able to move side- yeah, they should be able to move stuff. sideways at the very least, yeah. as you say. So they end up leaving without knowing, which is actually, which is quite wrong. It- yeah. It's a fault of um, recruitment and society that people, managers always view their internal people and just see the negatives that they have. Whereas when they recruit externally, you look at a candidate in a positive light and you don't know the negatives because they don't sit at an interview and say, actually, I'm not very good at this, this, and this. People aren't great at that generally, let alone dental professionals that have got so many hats to wear. Exactly. And they, and they are in principles are expected to wear hundreds of hats, aren't they? They really yeah, are. It, and a lot of them- It's one of the most challenging jobs out there, let alone in healthcare. Of course it is. Of course yeah, it if is. If you're a consultant in a hospital with a bit of a private practice doing orthopedics, you have a medical secretary and private secretary maybe, and that's kind of it. Yeah, but not- You're not pro- running payroll. And you're not, no, you, you, you're doing everything. And I think- Insurance yes, for your property yeah. and all the rest as of it. As you say, out, outsource it as much as you can. Do you still think the majority- of dentists out there want to be dentists? I think I think they do. I have quite a positive outlook on life and I think they do because I don't know. I mean, I'm really not aware of figures of people leaving dentistry. I know we had a lot of retirements during lockdown, but I think they were going to retire anyway. Yeah. So you might as well get out when you were going to get out and, and do it then. But otherwise, there's still people, masses of people coming into the profession. They just are. You know, we we've just finished sorting out our official student reps from the dental schools, you know, the ones who are appointed and then you'll see them at the conference. Um, and we had loads of applications. The young membership committee was swamped with applications because they see a side that they've never seen before because they are still students. We try and get fourth and fifth years, either fourth year or fifth years, third years that they're just a bit too young and they, they probably wouldn't get the time off. They all come away just with their jaws dropping when they see stuff. And we let them, you know, they sit in the, in the lecture, we have single streams on 
Friday and Saturday, but the Thursday and the hands-on sessions. And I'm happy for them to sit in there. Um, and if there's space, they can take part, but they, they are just blown away by what they see in the possibilities because they're not taught any of this. And they're probably the leaders of the future because, again, they've volunteered, they've worked it out to go there as an undergraduate. You saw on our stand at the the dentistry show, we had loads loads of volunteers and on the BAPD and we had a lot of volunteers and a, a great many of our committee members are former student reps. Not so much because they're pushy and want to be on things, but because they genuinely understand how everything works. And I couldn't do without most of them because they are so helpful and they're always enthusiastic and they'll always volunteer without having to be asked. You know, we have board members who are former student reps. You do sound as if you sleep well at night then with regards to <laughs> where the industry is at and because you're in quite a unique position. With, with the involvement in three bodies and I everybody am. else you talk to. And because you're not just focused, you're not just chief exec of some corporate with a hundred no, practices. No, and it's all I'm, about just a P&L and ultimately acquisitions. And I mean, you, you can I'm, take a holistic view of dentistry. Oh, I mean, I'm the, you know, I'm the only staff member at BACD. I own, only always only ever have been. My husband obviously helps me because I can't physically be in more than one place at one time. And for a three day conference, it's so much work. Most of it is prep beforehand, but on the day that you're running around, it's madness. It's absolute madness over three days. And yes, we have seen our membership decrease, but it's held fairly, it's fairly steady for everyone who doesn't renew. We'll get the same amount of people who will join. And a lot of the renewals, quite frankly, I've just... But that's just short term. It's right. That's back just short term. They'll come back. A lot of it is students who are doing their exams and just yeah. haven't noticed that they need to renew and they will do. People... Generally, people will come back. Our retention rate is pretty good. Um, I don't know what it's like for other organizations or other, you know, dental academies. And you're never going to get those huge meetings. You know, we used to get sort of five or 600 at our conferences. We get smaller numbers, but they are the creme de la creme, you know, they're, they're all practice owners and they're all, they'll, they'll spend money. Exhibitors like coming to us because they know that we're not padding our shows out. If you want to go to a show for hygienists or nurses or therapists, there are masses of shows like that. Ours is specifically for cosmetic there, there dentistry. Is a different vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Just even fellow exhibitors, when they talk, they say this is different in a, in a good way. Yeah. I mean, we tend to get the same exhibitors every year and they're always really friendly and really happy. And they know that it's with us, it's quality over quantity because they know that every single person who comes to see them is not going to be messing around. They're going to, they're there because they want to be. We have got a fairly amazing speaker this year, Dr. Frank Spear. So come and see him. So that's November. Be, that's if you November. Want to plug that's the, November. Uh, that's at ICC Wells. Um, it's up for booking on the website. You can come for one day or two days or all three days. Um, but it's going to be fairly amazing. I mean, it's taken us a very long time to book Frank Spear um, because he, you know, he's he gets so booked up, and yeah. to get him over from Hawaii has taken a lot of time and a lot of money. But it's going, definitely going to be worth it because he hasn't been in the UK for quite a long time. And there's a gala dinner, isn't there? Isn't and there's a gala dinner. Yes. Winter Wonderland theme. With wine? Of course. There's always wine. There's always wine. The Dental Cast is brought to you by Dental Talent, the Dentistry Job Board. If you have a role at your practice, Dental Talent job adverts remain live until they're filled, leveraging a combined network of over 100,000 dentistry professionals. Together with partner organisations, Dental Circle, the BACD, 
and the VADT. Enter discount code DENTALCAST2022 for 15% off your next job advert and get hiring today. A few sort of quickfire questions. What's the best? What's the best compliment you've ever received? What's the best compliment I've ever received? Your job. Um, that's quite. A, that's quite a good one. Not from Reese in the bedroom. Not from Reese. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll edit that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's quite. A, that's that's a very good question. What's the best compliment I've ever received? I think really it's that people. It's not that people don't notice that I'm there, but they're always astonished that it's only me. And I said, I am not a superwoman. I'm absolutely not a superwoman. You have to be really organized, incredibly annually retentive. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a dental conference. We're not saving the world. So if something goes wrong, obviously it never has. But yeah, it's the fact that I'm there in the background and they genuinely don't believe me when I say it's just me. They really no, don't. You never seem stressed outwardly. I'm, You're like a duck in water. You're like, I'm, I'm, do you know what? I don't them. see the point of getting... Re- <laughs> You need to be relaxed about it because there's nothing you can do. Most things are out, things that are out of your control. I don't see the point of worrying about them. I used to, but actually I thought, what's the point? Because no one else is really bothered. So, you know, sometimes things don't work, but generally they haven't. Usually the only issues we usually ever have is with AV, not because of the AV company, but because speakers suddenly at the last minute change their minds with stuff, or they bring stuff that doesn't work, or they just give you a stick, not having tested it. Or the worst are Americans and Canadians who think that their plugs will fit. No, not happening. Somebody actually nearly fused somewhere once, I seem to remember. Who knew that you could try and force a Canadian plug into a British one? You can't. (laughs) What's the one thing you've learned in dentistry that people should know? Whoever you are, whether you're a nurse, practice owner, what do you need to know? They are only teeth. And everybody has teeth. It's like everybody goes to the loo. Everybody does everything. They're only teeth, you know? You do only have one set of teeth though, so please look after them. And looking back at the many events you've done, are there any uh, any amusing incidents that you could uh, possibly share with us? One of the quite senior members of the US voting delegation, he came up to our desk and there was myself and a colleague, Sarah, who's a bit younger than me, and we were sitting there sorting out, sorting through voting papers actually ahead of the elections. And he said, um, he said, girls, you know, I've ripped my trousers, right? <laughs> so he got a rip, you know, where your pocket, your side pockets are. He'd somehow caught them on something as he was walking along. And we said, oh, you know, oh dear. So he took them off in the middle of the office in front of us. And we looked at each other and we were trying very, very hard not to laugh. So we said, um, first of all, please put your trousers back on. This is completely, <laughs> this is completely inappropriate. I said, we don't care if you're standing there without your trousers on, but really you shouldn't be standing in this office without your trousers on. And he said, oh, and he was quite relaxed about it. So we said, you're in Hong Kong. You can go and have a suit made. He was having none of it. So in the end, he just left his trousers there and walked out and went back to the hotel and got another pair. But the distance between the conference center and the hotel, he had to go outside, walk along the street for probably 20 minutes to go to the hotel. He was having none of it. So afterwards, Sarah and I said, right, that's definitely, definitely, definitely a joke. Wasn't. The only other thing on that trip was about 10 of us went to a restaurant and we were sitting around a great big round table. And every time anybody got up, either to go to the loo or for whatever reason, they would take your chair away. And we all got up and did a cheers. We all sat down again. They'd taken our chairs away. So we sat on the floor. So we just plonked, all of us plonked down on the floor. 
and then put your chairs back again. It was just, it was bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. It was, and it was quite a high-end restaurant as well. And we thought perhaps it's just us because we were in a little private room, but we looked around and, and they were doing it to everyone. It was really weird, whether it was some sort of training exercise or something. It was just, it was bizarre. It all ended up with like, you know, massively bruised bottoms by the end of this trip. Because we, we, so we didn't go back, we didn't go back to that restaurant. That was, but we've had, yeah, we've had some quite fun times. Um, we have had some quite fun times. I would say don't ever go out drinking with the Swedish Dental Association or you will regret it. They drink, I don't know, a year's worth <laughs> in one go, as far as I can tell. And um, yeah, we've had, some, we've had some interesting times. We were in Mexico City and the conference centre got so full it had to be evacuated by the fire brigade. We thought that was a joke as well when we saw the firemen because they were all very little. They looked like children, but in fact, they weren't. They were real firemen. Like the hoses, hoses were bigger than the firemen. They had to evacuate the entire centre. So they were, it was like a, a film. They were running around screaming in Spanish while we all looked really bewildered because we thought there was a fire, obviously, because the fire brigade came and they got their hoses out, which is not a euphemism. <laughs> so stop, stop, stop sniggering at the back. man in Hong Kong, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we, we've had some, we've had some interesting ones. But other than that, no, nothing too terrible has happened. So, can you tell us any more about the uh, the Italian punch up you mentioned over lunch? It just sounds like a wonderful, uh, wonderful anecdote. Oh, the Italian punch up. So, there were at this point three dental associations in Italy. They all hated each other, so they all had one vote at the FDI. But they couldn't agree and they got into this massive punch up. They had one vote each. So they had one vote each. They didn't have so to share the votes. They were actually throwing punches. They were actually throwing punches. The blood was, blood was spilt. I mean, I've been, to, I've been to conferences in Italy before and it's, it's all been very calm, but no, not with this one. No, this. What's great about you is the way you've obviously had this amazing career internationally and, um, you know, sounds very glamorous, but you, you speak in the same level of passion about that as you do now about, you know, going to Wales and promoting the BACD and everything you do. You're positive, you're upbeat, I think you embrace everything you didn't, If you didn't love what you were doing, there's no point in you doing it. And, you know, I don't, I, I work to live. I don't live to work and I can switch off. I mean, people will say, you know, we get emails from you all times of the day and night, but that's only because I'd forget something otherwise. But I can quite easily switch off. You have to. You'd go mad otherwise, wouldn't you? Yes, I do do a lot of work, but then I can quite happily stop doing it. And at some point, I, I know everyone hates to hear this, but I will have to retire I am going to no. be. I am. I am going to be sixty in a month's time, and I cannot go on forever. You know, it's it's completely different doing it at this age than doing it in your thirties and forties. I will wind down, and I've gone down to four days a week for BACD, which is you know enough. It's busy, but I have an amazingly efficient board and committees. I mean, they're all just delightful, and they all do what they're supposed to do, and they're they're incredible. You know, the BACD would be nothing without its board and committees. It really wouldn't. As the other organisations, you know, both the others, the BAPD and the BADT have brilliant leaders um, who are well-known and well-respected in dentistry and do a massive amount of work behind the scenes. Nobody sees that. They just see the end result. And people, you know, of course I'm paid, it's a job, but they're not paid. You know, they don't, they don't get anything. And I think that if you're doing something that you really love, you'll just keep doing it until you no longer love it. But I don't think I will ever not love doing this because I'm I am a natural born organiser, it's fair to say. Um, yeah. Although <laughs> one of the things, one of my friends always teases me and says, but Suze, you're just a party planner, aren't you? That's all you do. It's a party planning. I could do that. Well, I think you probably couldn't, but yeah. <laughs> but no, it is. No, I definitely mean, not. It, it is. It's, 
at the end of the day, it should be fun. And learning should be fun, shouldn't it? You don't want to see people on courses looking miserable, do you? Say no one's been forced to be there, be involved in the organisation from a, a committee point of view or a member point of view. And that's why it works. Of course it does. They're, they're volunteering because they enjoy doing it. And, and we have very strict rules about you can't use your membership to kind of your position to, to promote yourself. The board gets asked to test products and stuff like that, but we don't do everything because if people aren't interested in it, they won't use it. It's been really fascinating talking to you. Thank you very much indeed for your time, Susie. Good luck with your remaining events this year. Delighted that you came and chatted. It's very kind of you. Thank you for listening to The Dental Cast, brought to you in association with Dental Talent, the Dentistry Job Board. We very much look forward to bringing you our next episode soon. So if you like what you've heard, please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Thank you.